everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel, the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Great to be with you on a later show. I don't want to say a crazy late show uh, out here on the East Coast. It's about 7.30 Eastern, about an hour and a half past when we normally do Carving Up Live. But I got to say, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is good to be here today. It is great to be here today. Loaded show on tap. Three, albeit not close, but interesting game, storyline, you know, packed game, so to speak, on Thanksgiving Day. Happy late Thanksgiving to everybody out there. Happy Black Friday to all those who observe. Uh, Lions and Packers, a, a growing trend that is becoming a little bit of a concern for the Lions, who I picked infamously to get to the NFC title game. I'll get into that as well as by the Packers have a legitimate shot to much to my chagrin of making the playoffs get into that. Also, the San Francisco 49ers beating up on the Seattle Seahawks. We'll discuss that and Brock Purdy uh, in particular. I also wanted to talk about Chris Paul, my man of the Golden State Warriors uh, and his ongoing beef with Scott Foster. Something's got to be done about that. I've got a solution later on today's show as well. The Vol View, the last edition of the Vol View for the regular season, obviously up until the Vols of a bowl game. Tennessee uh, facing Vanderbilt in-state rivalry, although, I mean, the Vols are 27-point favorites. Is it that much of a rivalry? I'll get into that in about a half hour. Uh, actually, sorry, about 45 minutes. And, of course, at the end of the show, Week 12 NFL predictions, including Bryson's Bleak Bet, Upset of the Week, and If I Were a Bet Man. Let me tell you something. On the latter, I feel great about my chances in that regard. But real quick, I want to check the comments before we get started. I've already got a comment two hours before the show started. This is how I know we're going to have some fun today. Alexander Johnson, AJ from the Cowboys Camp Fan Podcast. He says, looking forward to this show. Looking forward to, uh, to hearing everybody has to say in the comments. Obviously, feel free to chime in and make your thoughts and opinions known. But first, let's start with... Um, Let's start with the third most watched game, regular season game, in the history of the National Football League. The Washington Commanders and the Dallas Cowboys. Dallas won convincingly by a final score of 45-10. to 10. All the wise guys in Vegas said, no, 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 Dallas going to win, but take the Commanders and the points, division rivalry, Sam Howell leading the NFL in passing yards, and for the record, I'm not going to talk much Washington. Sam Howell's not the problem there. If there's any blame about Sam Howell and how that game went, you don't know football. Sam Howell's actually, I think, a decent quarterback. I think Washington should roll with him next year, regardless of who the head coach is. Should be the enemy. Neither here nor there. But, um... Yes, I am a former Cowboys fan. That is that is a fact. Haven't been for three years now, but I've never once lost support at any point of the guy wearing number four in Dallas, manning the quarterback position. At this point, I think you guys know the drill. Say it loud with me, and please, to the top of your lungs, say it loud. Rain Dakota Prescott is still the hottest quarterback in the National Football League, 22 of 32, 332 uh, yards, sorry, 331 yards, a QBR of 87, a passer rating of 142, and not one, not two, not three, but four touchdown passes on the day, no interceptions, and currently as we sit here today, and I think moving forward the rest of the season, Dak Prescott's the MVP. It's as simple as that. Dak Prescott is the most valuable player in the National Football League this 2023 season. Here's why. In a lot of ways, and I don't totally agree with this, um, the most valuable player award, at least in the NFL, often goes to the guy who has the best season coupled with, married with, so to speak, the best storyline, the best narrative. That oftentimes is the case. I mean, it's why in some respects, while I 
You guys know I love Brock Purdy. Loved him since I first saw him step foot in that field for San Francisco in relief of Jimmy G against the Miami Dolphins. Loved him ever since then. Not the most valuable player in his own offense. But the storyline, Mr. Irrelevant, seventh-round pick, coming off an elbow surgery from last year and is, is, is blowing a lot of guys, including Dak Prescott, in some ways out of the water with his stats. That's why you've seen guys in the past, such as Aaron Rodgers, win MVP in 2020. That's not to say Aaron didn't deserve the award. He did throw 48 touchdown passes. But didn't it kind of help Aaron's MVP case that, you know, the Packers thought, this was the narrative, that Aaron Rodgers was on the decline. That Aaron Rodgers was not the same Aaron Rodgers of old, uh, winning MVPs in the past in 2011 and in 2014, getting to NFC Championship games. Yes, they got to one in 2019, but a lot of folks were like, ah, that was the offensive line, it was the defense, it was the running game, it was the floor. Uh, Rodgers was kind of a game manager, which is why they drafted Jordan Love in the first round instead of getting Aaron a reliable target. And so Aaron, to use a Mike, you know, Michael Jordan phrase, took that personally, threw 48 tuds, Packers were the best team in the NFC, and he won MVP. Storylines, coupled with great stats. Patrick Mahomes wasn't the narrative last year. Like, we, we talked about, is it Mahomes or is it Hurts? Mahomes or Hurts for MVP last year. Was it kind of the deciding factor in some ways that Jalen's awesome, Jalen's taking that big jump, the storyline is there with Jalen, but every player for the Philadelphia Eagles at the skill position player, not named the tight end position, obviously with, with Kelsey there in Kansas City, would start for the Chiefs. A.J. Brown would start for the Chiefs. Devontae Smith would start for the Chiefs. Over the guys that Mahomes had. Over the guys that Mahomes had. Not to mention that Mahomes had just lost, you know, the best receiver in the game in Tyree Kill. And still threw 41 touchdown passes and led the Chiefs to the best record in the AFC. Storyline coupled with great stats. Is the storyline not there with Dak Prescott? After all the narrative coming in after last season. Oh, Dak Prescott is a turnover machine. You know, he did throw 15 interceptions in only 12 games of action. He did miss the, a big chunk of the first part of the season due to a thumb injury. Oh, lost Kellen Moore to the Los Angeles Chargers. Kellen Moore, boy genius. He is. He was the guy who took Dak Prescott to the next level as a quarterback. And now that Dak no longer has him and has Mike McCarthy calling plays, oh, Dak's going to take a big step back. All of the narrative. Oh, Jalen Hurts. And you guys know I love Jalen Hurts for the record. Jalen Hurts, best quarterback in the NFC East, despite the fact that his path to the Super Bowl was Daniel Jones and Christian McCaffrey at quarterback for the entire second half of the NFC Championship game. No, I'm not lying. Now, in Jalen's defense, he did play awesome in the Super Bowl, but his path to get there, let's just say there have been tougher paths in the past for guys. All of the narrative coming in surrounding Dak Prescott, game manager. Not elite, not top 10, needs kill him more. Turnover machine. He has the storyline with the great stats. Let's just look at since, then we'll go in totality. Let's look at weeks, since week six. So remember Dallas got the doors blown off them. 42 to 10 to the San Francisco 49ers on the road. And I remember the next day, oh, it was the skies falling in Dallas. The sky, they, they can't win a Super Bowl with Dak Prescott. He's, he's not the answer. They got to move on from him. They cannot possibly give him an extension. How could they do ever think about doing such a thing? Since that week five loss going to the week six game, the Monday Nighter when they played the LA Chargers and Kellen Moore. Now, Dak was not obviously facing Kellen Moore. Kellen Moore's the OC, uh, not the DC. But ever since that game, here's, um, here's Dak Prescott's numbers. Want to hear this? 
70, 70.5% completion percentage. That's good. 20 touchdown passes. To, in, I'm sorry, 20 touchdowns in total. That is first in the NFL in that span. Two interceptions in that span. I could have sworn I heard Dak was a turnover machine. That's not here nor there. Uh, two interceptions in that span. That's tied for best in the National Football League. 8.9 yards per attempt and a passer rating in that span of 122. First in the NFL. Now I know what you're going to say. Bryson, come on now. I mean, it's the Chargers and the Panthers and the Rams when Stafford got hurt in that game and the Commanders and the Giants. Ah, I mean, it's Bryson. These are bottom feeders. Oh, that's funny. I didn't hear that same energy towards Jalen Hurts when the Eagles were beating the Giants and they're beating a Pittsburgh Steelers team where the Kenny Pickett, who had virtually no NFL action, didn't hear those excuses then. Did not hear the excuses for when they played the Jacksonville Jaguars, who were in the midst of starting three and seven. Don't remember that. Don't remember that excuse when they played Washington twice and lost to them one of those games. Don't remember the excuse when they played the Arizona Cardinals, who drafted in the top 10 this year's draft. Didn't hear when they played the Texans. This is the pre-CJ Stroud days. Didn't hear it when they barely escaped the Colts by the hair of their skinny chin-chin. Didn't hear it when they beat the Packers, who missed the playoffs. Didn't hear it when they beat the Titans, who missed the playoffs. Didn't hear it when they beat the Chicago Bears, who, you know, had the number one pick in the draft and beat them by five points, I might add. Didn't hear excuses then. Why are we going to change that narrative and move the goalpost for Dak now? If we didn't give Hurts that energy, then why should we give it to Dak? I mean, if Jalen is better than Dak, should we not hold him to a higher regard? If we're going to be consistent, at least. But even in totality, Cup, you, you include the bad game against the 49ers, in which Dak threw three interceptions, didn't look comfortable, didn't look like himself. Uh, the 49ers were just, just eating Dak, and the, the Dallas offense, Elias C.D. Lamb was getting the ball. It was, just, it was, a, it was a, a disaster in Dallas, Texas. No question about it. If you look at Dak Prescott's numbers, he is second in the National Football League in QBR. That's 0 200. That's, that's not bad. You look at 2,900 yards, 23 touchdowns to six interceptions. That's that's going to work any day of the week, no matter how you slice it. Uh, he is completing, uh, if I could pull up the numbers here, do we have it? Yeah, he's completing this season 70% of his passes. That'll that'll work. Um, pass running of 107, I think I'll take that as, as well. And by the way, pro football focus, you, you guys see this pro football focus. Now their job, for those of you who don't know what pro football focus is, um, their job in the simplest terms possible, and this is not to shortchange the incredible people who work over there, but their job is literally to watch film all day. To watch film, to analyze what they see on the field and grade that based on what they see. They, similar to QBR and any standardized tests in America, they grade on a scale of zero to 100. Dak Prescott yesterday was graded at 97 by Pro Football Focus. For context, that's the highest a quarterback has been graded by PFF since 2007. Dak is also the highest graded quarterback of the season by Pro Football Focus. The narrative is there. The storyline is there. The stats are there. And the impact is there. When you see what Mike McCarthy, and he deserves an immense amount of credit for, for, for how Dak is playing. In the sense that, unlike Kelmore, he lets Dak B 
BDAC. I've heard the let Dak cook thing. I don't want to jinx that because we tried the let Russ cook thing and that Russ Darner burned the kitchen down in Seattle. That's So I don't, I don't want to do that. But he lets Dak be Dak. Using his legs, making plays outside the pocket. Finally, I mean, how many times? Even Dak missed a couple deep throws in that first drive, if you remember. But he's letting Dak take shots. CeeDee Lamb's a deep threat. Brandon Cook's a deep threat. So is Michael Gallup. Dak had a beautiful, might have been the best throw of the day to, to uh, Jake Ferguson in the first quarter. I mean, could not have thrown the ball any better. Down the seam. Let's him take shots. Draws up plays that are efficient. Gives Dak multiple options. What a surprise. He's in the MVP discussion. Of course, it validates anything, everything I've ever thought about Dak Prescott. Now, was he my preseason pick? No, I did say, though, he'd finish third in the MVP voting and lead the Cowboys to the one seed and eventually the Super Bowl. So I'm not surprised in the slightest. But if we're going to keep that same energy with other MVP candidates in the past, let's give it to Dak. Dak Prescott, as we sit here today, and I anticipate moving forward, that's your most viable player. No questions asked. Let's look at the comments here. Yeah, I love it. My man Patrick Brown, who is a Cowboys fan, he says, Dak was making it rain, and he spelled rain like Dak's legal uh, first name, R-A-Y-N-E, rain Dakota Prescott. Dak was making it rain. That was it's, it's beautiful. Listen, Patrick, if there's anything, if y'all don't know Patrick Brown, check out his his articles on the Grid Network website. He does some great, great stuff. Um, da uh, Dak, uh, Patrick is, is great, great, great. With, with making up just quick, quick, quick names on the flyer, quick puns, uh, you know, Whack Jones and Slack Wilson. <laughs> you saw Zach, or not, you actually didn't see Slack Wilson today for the Jets, but I'm not, I, I'm not talking about that game. Uh, this is another, another bad day at the office for the Jets. Uh, Patrick says, to hear my six-year-old nephew tell me how Dallas play pr uh, brought tears to my eyes. It was a proud uncle moment. His favorite part of yesterday, watching Dak share turkey legs with the guys. That was so great, Patrick. That that is that is one of the celebrations of, of that the, well, the great celebrations I've ever seen. It's the best Thanksgiving celebration I've ever seen. Because uh, if y'all didn't see it, Dak threw a late touchdown pass to Cavante Turpin. It was his fourth of the day. It was his last pass of the day, and all the guys ran down to the Salvation Army uh, kettle, and uh, and and they took out a, a bag. It's like what's in the bag? That's turkey legs. Dak is literally like pulling up his helmet halfway, eating turkey legs, running to the sideline. That's when you know it's working for you. And I would be remiss. I'd be remiss, ladies and gentlemen, if I did not give a big-time shout-out to Mr. Deron Bland. Five interceptions, five pick-sixes on the season. That's more than any player in the history of the National Football League. Jim Nance, by the way, the great Jim Nance, one of the greatest broadcasters that ever lived. Uh, love Nance. Um, Jim Nance's call on that play was A++++. It was fantastic. I mean, even heard Romo, uh, Tony Romo calling the game. He's like, man, that, that that gave me like chills. It was a fantastic call. Obviously a great day for the Cowboys. We cannot forget, though. We cannot, and Patrick, right on cue. This is, this is why my guy, it's my guy right here, guys. Patrick says, Dallas won. Ratings, game, and halftime show. Yes, indeed, Mr. Brown. How about Dolly Parton? Okay, listen, Dolly, listen, I'm, a, I'm from Tennessee. I'm a Tennessee boy, okay? So Dolly here, she's a national treasure. Heck, she's a worldwide treasure, international treasure. But in Tennessee, listen, she, she, she's a queen here, man. I'm just telling you right now. She was fantastic. Of course, she's she's Dolly Parton, of course. <laughs> of course she's. Like I said, I said it on Wednesday's show. I think I've even said in the past on Carving Up in, in, in the instances where Dahlia's came up. Uh, I'll reiterate today. If you don't, you, you don't have to be like the greatest fan of her music, although it is fantastic. Uh, if you don't like Dolly Parton, that's on you, man. That's, that's on you. 
you you need to you need to go to therapy. You need to get yourself checked out, uh, and you probably need to be nicer to people. That, that's that's where I'm at. Okay, if you don't like Dolly, that's that's on you, Ann. Okay, I'll take the shades off. I just I had to, I had to bring that out. Now you can see my eyes now on the show. I had to bring that out for uh for what Randy Dakota Prescott did. But yeah, you know Patrick reiterated. And I said at the beginning of the show, third most watched game. And um, in regular season history, was it 41.3 million people watched the game? So it was, uh, if I can, let's see, I, I think uh, Dov Kleiman, who, who's a great, great insider uh, for the National Football League. It, okay, it averaged 41.4 million viewers with a peak of four, I'm sorry, 41.4 million viewers with a peak of 44.2 million people who watched the game. And it says right here, that's the third most watched NFL game uh, regular season game, I assume, in, in NFL history, and the most watched telecast since Super Bowl 57 between Kansas City and Philadelphia. So, yeah, listen, like Patrick summed it up. Dallas uh, won in every way, shape, and form. Beat their division rival by three touchdowns. I'm sorry, by three touchdowns. Excuse me, Dallas. Beat their division rival by five touchdowns. Uh, had the third most watched game ever. And Dak's the MVP, and Dolly's the halftime MVP, uh, you know. That's it. Day went pretty well for the Cowboys. Uh, that's 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 what you say. Yeah, Patrick Brown says Dolly Parton, living legend, seventy-seven years old, and when she came out the cheerleading outfit, we all knew it was going to be a sensational show. No question about it. She is. If there's anybody that knows how to put on a show, it is it is Miss Parton. There's no question. Mrs. Parton. There's no question about it. And he says Eagles fans were bragging about having the most watched game on Monday night. We we doubled that on on Thursday afternoon. Oh, listen, it's it's Philadelphia. Which, in their in their defense, in Philadelphia's defense, it is the Super Bowl rematch. It's Mahomes. It's it's an Arrowhead. So, but uh, no, that's it, that that's a given every year. The Cowboys Thanksgiving game is going to be the most watched game of that regular season. In this case, third much most watched ever. Uh, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, I think the game last year when they played the Giants was the most watched regular season game ever. I could be wrong on that, but I'm I remember saying on my show something along those lines that. More people watch that game than any regular season game, but I I could have sworn that a lot of people oh they were boycotting the NFL. Yeah, let me pass that. That that's I'll, I've got a segment for the future, and we'll we'll get into that. Seriously though, and then I'll move on to the Niners. Um, that 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 record, Deron Bland, that is ridiculous. I mean, that, I'm shocked. Of course, maybe I'm not shocked. Dion doesn't have the record. Oh, Dion, I don't know. Dion might have had four in a season. I have no idea, but. I guess quarterbacks except for a while, like, yeah, I probably don't want to want to throw it prime's way. Like you get to a point where your interception numbers come down. It's not because you're not good, it's just because quarterbacks aren't throwing your way. Uh, and that's and that's you know, folks, that's what I said about Trayvon Diggs. I remember a couple of years ago, Trayvon, who's unfortunately hurt for the season with an ACL. But I remember talking on the show a couple of years ago that yeah, Trayvon's got double digit picks, but why do quarterbacks keep throwing his way? And he gave up a thousand yards receiving. So it's like it's boomer bust for Trayvon. He's either going to pick it or he's going to give up a 50-yard gain. And now why quarterbacks keep throwing Deron Bland's direction, I, I have no idea. I mean, a lot of these are not deep balls, which it's it's hard to get a pick six on a deep ball. Although although the kid from Miami pulled it off today on the, the Hail Mary, or, or <laughs> as somebody on Twitter called it, the Hell Mary <laughs> for, for the Jets. It was, it was not great. It was not great. Uh, and Patrick says, anytime Dallas plays on Thanksgiving, expect us to win ratings, win, lose, or draw. We're the kings of Thanksgiving. Yeah, Dallas. And, you know, I, I wanted to say so bad. I'll get into the Lions game a little later. I, I, I wanted, man, I, I wanted nothing other than Dak playing well and and obviously the Cowboys winning. I, I wanted nothing more for, than for Detroit to show up and show out. Yikesters. Not great. Not great. 
And, you know, if, if you look at social media, it looks like the way the moon or the, the direction of the moon is placed, like can determine where the lions are, how well they plan Thanksgiving. It's, it's, it's a strange thing. It's like, there's something in the stars that are, that is pulling. Maybe, I don't know, maybe Neil deGrasse Tyson can, can, can explain that to me. Cause I, I have no idea how that works, especially since the lions are an indoor team. That's, but we'll get into them later in the show. Let's talk about San Francisco though. They did about what I thought. I think what everybody mostly thought that they would do to the Seattle Seahawks. Listen, in Seattle's defense, Geno suffered a brutal hit on Sunday against the Rams off of uh, Aaron, Aaron Donald hit. Tough. I mean, there, there's that picture that NBC showed when he was on the table getting physical therapy while he's interviewing with, with Chris Collinsworth, with Mike Tirico, with Melissa Stark uh, of NBC. He's getting his shoulder worked on. So, like, it's it's like around-the-clock treatment. He's trying to get his meetings in, all that. So, props to Gino for for, for toughing it out. He was, you know, limited. Uh, I, we, listen, we never viewed G, Gino in any way, shape, or form as elite. But, listen, he, he played as hard as he could, but it's just – one, I mean, a QBR 15, a pass rate of 70. So, but again, in his defense, it's an awesome defense in San Francisco. Um, for the Niners, for Brock Purdy, for, for, for San Francisco as a whole, and by the way, Purdy, pass rating of 86, QBR 62. So he played solid, uh, 200 yards passing, one touchdown, one pick. Uh, the Niners ran for a buck 69 as a team. McCaffrey with a couple of tutties. Um, I didn't learn anything about San Francisco last night. I knew that against... Mid-tier playoff teams, which Seattle is kind of fighting for that seven spot. Like, we kind of know at this point there's going to be an NFC South winner, tragically. Philly's in. Detroit's in. San Francisco's in. Dallas is in. I think Minnesota's probably in if you look at their schedule. And listen, they lost by the skin of their teeth against against Denver. I think a lot of people are selling their Minnesota stock way too fast. But it's going to be that seven spot. Like the Rams need a win against Arizona on Sunday. I'll predict their game and the other games uh, at the end of the show. But the Rams need a win to stay in the picture. Green Bay got a huge win yesterday to stay in the picture. But Seattle needs to win some games. And San Francisco, like I said, they're the Mike Tyson of the NFL, where if they build a lead on you, forget about it. You are done. You are not coming back on this team. The problem is if it's tight, or if the team, the team you're facing has the upper hand going the fourth quarter, bit of a problem. And that can be put on the quarterback, Brock Purdy. That can be put on the head coach, Kyle Shanahan, who has an abysmal record. Abysmal. Like, he's, he's, he's like 29, 30 games under 500 when trailing by like three or more, five or more, something like that, going into the fourth quarter. So that's, a, again, that's, that's a little bit of a problem for San Francisco. But again, I, I, in terms of the roster, even without Talano Hufunga, which is a much bigger loss than I think we're giving it credit for. He's a tremendous player. Uh, lost him for the season. But even without that guy, uh, it's still the best roster in the league. McCaffrey's the best running back. Trent Williams is the best left tackle. Brock Purdy is a is about a top 12 quarterback and plays like a top 10 quarterback in large part uh, because of what his his talents, his, his playmaking ability, and the, the pieces around him. Jawan Jennings is really good. Brandon Ayuk is what might be the most underrated receiver in the sport because of Debo Samuel, who's the best offensive uh, skill position, do-it-all player in the NFL, so to speak. Uh, they've got the best defensive line in the league with respect to San Francisco, although Dallas slowly but surely is making a case that they are. Uh, they've got the best linebacking duo by far, by far, in the NFL with, with Dre Greenlaw and Fred Warner. And the secondary, while it's somewhat of a weak link, see what Traverius Ward did last night? You know, he was uh, he was with the guys eating turkey legs after the game. He was fantastic in that game against Seattle. So I learned nothing about San Francisco. Now, the reason I brought up the point about Mike Tyson, the reason I brought up the point about the fact that San Francisco, if they build a lead on you, you're cooked. If they're down in the fourth quarter, they're closer to cooked than they are to, we can come back. 
We're going to learn a lot about San Francisco next week in Philadelphia. Nine days from now. Now, San Francisco is going to have an edge to, in the sense that, obviously, they got the high off the win against a division rival. They don't like Seattle. Beat them on the road. Props to them. But Philadelphia got, has got the home game against Buffalo. Somewhat of a trap game. That's why I think the Vegas line is what it is. Again, I'll get to that later on the show. Philly has seven days to prepare for San Francisco. San Francisco has 10 days to prepare for Philadelphia. So Kyle Shanahan needs to cook up his best game plan. And the fact of the matter is, listen, Philadelphia is a team. Like San Francisco's the, the kid on the block. And I'm not saying they're chumps where they're, they're like the Rudy Gobert. I'm not saying the Niners are the Rudy Gobert of the league where, yeah, they beat you up when you're small, but they, they'll back down from a fight when somebody else is bigger than them. And that's not them. They're not, they're not phonies. But, but <laughs> I mean, they've been in the last two NFC championship games. They're obviously doing something right. But Philadelphia is a team that can beat them up physically or at least can match them physically. If you look at San Francisco, you look at the Kansas City Chiefs. If, you're, if you are the Niners and say, hey, they beat up Philadelphia's defensive line. Now, that's not a shot at Kansas City because Casey's defense is amazing this year. Underrated, in, in my opinion. We give the Niners more love because of the big-name players they have. Bosa, Chase Young, Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw. And they've got, they got some dudes. <laughs> they got some dudes. Armstead, they got some dudes in San Francisco. Can they match Philly tit for tat? Because last year, we don't know. Because Purdy went down in the first quarter on a, on a strip sack by, by Hassan Reddick. So we, we, it's, a, it's a mystery. Because at that point, they had to rely on Josh Johnson. Then they had to, to put McCaffrey in as a, as, as a wildcat back slash court. I mean, it was, it was not good. I think McCaffrey might have thrown a pass in that game. I mean, it was, a, it was a quarterback disaster. It literally got rules changed in the NFL to where you can have an emergency quarterback if, if something goes wrong. Or if a couple of things go, goes wrong in the case of the Niners. So last year, we don't know. And props to Philly, of course, they took advantage of that. We're going to find out. You say, well, what about Dallas? Well, yeah, they did destroy Dallas, but Dallas is a much better team now than they were in week five. I don't think anybody would argue that. We, we won't find that out until potentially the playoffs. Philadelphia, I know who they are. That's why I think they're the best team in the league right now. They can beat you multiple different ways. If they need to, to beat you, through the air, they can do that. If they need to beat you on the ground, they can do that. If they need to win a defensive battle, they can do that. If they got to win a high-scoring affair, they can do that. And they are tremendous situationally, when trailing or when leading. I know the Niners are awesome when leading. Most teams are. I do have questions about them trailing. There's a good chance they will at times be, you know, Philadelphia might be in front, 7 nothing. How does San Francisco respond? If it's... 23 to 17 going into the fourth quarter, and Philly's got the ball at midfield. How does San Francisco respond? Because they didn't respond terribly well, terribly well albeit in their defense. If Jake Moody makes a, makes a kick against Cleveland, they win. So, you know, context should does matter in that regard. But they were outplayed by Minnesota. They were outplayed pretty significantly by Cincinnati. So all these things matter. Cincinnati's a physical team. Minnesota's increasingly because of physical team. Daniel Hunter's second in the NFL in sacks. I mean, that's that's kind of an underreported story there. Um, but Cleveland, very physical. Can the Niners match that? A team that can that can go blow for blow with them. Can't wait to see that game next week in Philadelphia. It is going to be a doozy. I think it's America's game of the week on Fox. It should be. Uh, these are the two best teams in the conference with respect to Dallas, because I still think Dallas. I I'm holding to my pick that they're going to win the NFC um, because I think they have the best quarterback between any of the three teams, the top three teams of the conference. Um, 
that's going to be an interesting one. But as far as last night, didn't really learn anything. Purdy was solid uh, through that one tipped interception. So, you know, listen, it happens, makes a, mis- makes a mistake. McCaffrey's still a freak. You know, George Kittle, I'm, I'm sorry, Debo Samuel, I caught the late touchdown. Like it was, it was a typical San Francisco 49ers win. Real quick, though, then I'll check. See, I got a lot of comments here. And I'll get to those in just a second. I did want to touch on this quickly, though, with Seattle. Seattle's in trouble. Like they're in really big trouble. I'm dead. You're like, oh, Bryson, they're six and five. Bryson, they're 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 the playoffs today. They made the playoffs last year. You know, Gino was playing with a hurt shoulder. I expected them to lose last night. That's one thing. Have you seen Seattle's next three games? At Dallas, at San Francisco. But then they get to come to the friendly confines of Seattle and play Philadelphia. Now, the good news is they finish at Tennessee, Pittsburgh, although that's, uh, listen, don't go with my Steelers right now, okay? We, we, we can go with the best of them, beat Baltimore. And then they finish at Arizona. There is a very real possibility that we go into week 16 and the Seahawks are 6-8 and eight fighting for their playoff lives. Meanwhile, a team that I'm going get to get to later in the show, or actually in that very next segment, rather, uh, who beat the Detroit Lions yesterday, the Green Bay Packers. They're 5-6. and six. One game back of the Seahawks. Now, Green Bay has to go to, I'm sorry, they don't go to Arrowhead, but they do play the Chiefs next week. Don't feel great about that if I'm the Packers. But after that, Giants, Tampa Bay's frisky, but they can very well beat Tampa Bay. Panthers, Vikings is tough, and then the Bears, who we know the Packers literally own. Much, much to my chagrin, uh, I give Green Bay a better shot to make the playoffs than I do Seattle. And if the Rams are able to survive the Cardinals, and I say survive because Kyler Murray has historically played uh, solid against the Rams, uh, LA's schedule is not... Uh, I mean, they, they got the Giants in their schedule, like Commanders. I'm just saying. like We're in a real, very real, real situation where Seattle could, could be in a, a bad spot. There's no question about that. Let's see. Uh, Patrick Brown's in the comments. He says, Niners having Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Hargrave. Yeah, good job being, bringing up Hargrave because he was with, um, Hargrave was with uh, Philadelphia last season. San Francisco picked him up. The rich get richer on the defensive line. Uh, he says, Niners having Chase Young, Nick Bosa, Hargrave, Warner, and Greenlaw as a cheat code, not to mention Randy Gregory. Yes, they picked up Randy Gregory after the, the Broncos let him go. Offense is stacked. This is Patrick. Offense is stacked. Defense, only weakness in the secondary in a minor aspect. It starts up front and the second level. And he says the second level can make plays. He says NFL needs to give us Eagles versus Niners over Chiefs versus Packers, not to mention Monday night football games from week 12 until the end will be flexed. First time it's ever been done as well. I, I do love that rule um, that, that the NFL added that because like the, the Monday night game, listen, I'm interested in the Monday night game, which I'll predict on Monday's show between Minnesota and, and uh, Chicago because I want to see Dobbs. Josh Dobbs my guy. Robert Joshua Dobbs. But in the same sense, uh, for the rest of the country, unless you're a Vikings fan, a Dobbs fan like myself, or a Bears fan, it's uh, kind of mid. Uh, it's, it doesn't appear anything is going to get flexed. It'd be far too late to do that. But I, I, I'm fine with Chiefs versus Packers in the NFL's defense. Patrick does have some interesting storylines. How did the Chiefs bounce back off a loss? Lambeau Field. Uh, the Packers all of a sudden on fire right now. A couple back-to-back wins. Jordan Love played well in both. Again, I'll get to Green Bay in just a second. And hey, listen, Eagles versus Niners is America's game of the week on Fox. So, like, it's it's going to be in front of the whole country. Everybody's going to see it. It's going to be a fantastic game, I I anticipate. Uh, Modern Dragon is in the comments. What's up? He says, Cowboys fan rooting for the 49ers uh, next week. Are you saying you're a Cowboys fan rooting for the 49ers? Because here's the thing. If you're a Cowboys fan, to me, you should pull for Buffalo. 
you should be like, man, here's what you should pull for if you're a Dallas fan. Okay. Obviously, you're going to root for the Cowboys to win every game. Buffalo to shock Philly, which is well within the realm of possibility. Again, see the Vegas line. It's a little suspicious, little suspicious. And then for Philly to beat San Francisco, because in order for Dallas to win the division, they can beat Philly in two weeks. Two weeks from now, Philly will still have the upper hand. Philly does, Philadelphia still has to lose another game. And then Dallas, assuming they would beat them, would have the tiebreaker. But as for San Francisco, if the fight between Dallas and the Niners is for the one seed, uh, if, if there is a battle between Dallas and the 49ers for the one seed, San Francisco is the edge because they beat Dallas. So you would then root for Philadelphia uh, at that point. So it, it's a lot of it hinges on the Bills game. Because after, after the Niners game, I don't see Philadelphia losing. I really don't because they have uh, Buffalo, they have San Francisco, and they have Dallas. All of those are kind of dicey games, especially the Niners and the Cowboys game. After that, they're not losing. I mean, I think they had the Giants twice, and gosh, who was it after that? Let me check the Philadelphia Eagles schedule uh, real quick. Okay, Philadelphia, yeah. They have the New York football Giants twice, and they have the Cardinals. So, I mean, that's that's two of the three or four worst teams in the league right there. They're not, they're not losing those games. Unless they just absolutely, and again, I don't use this word much, but choke. They have to literally choke the season in order to, to blow those games. Patrick, Seattle comes to Dallas next Thursday evening. The eggs in the nest will hatch with losses. Very well possible. Although I think Dallas needs to be, I feel the same way about that game for Dallas as I feel about this game for Philadelphia, where Philadelphia just beat Kansas City, the team you lost in the Super Bowl. You got the Niners next week, Cowboys week after that. Maybe you could look ahead a little bit. Buffalo, six and five, kind of fighting for their playoff lives. A little bit of a trap game. For Dallas, it's almost identical situations where you're looking ahead to the Philly game. Sunday night football, it's a huge game for both teams. Seattle, six and five. They're reeling a little bit. They know their schedule. They know it's it's desperation time. They they got to get a win at some point in the stretch. So, like those, Dallas and Philly's kind of in a little bit of a trap game. Uh, their next game's coming up. So, you know, that's why we love the NFL. You, you, ne you never know. You never know. Let's transition to, to, to the Lions and the Packers. Obviously, the first game, Detroit always plays the first game on Thanksgiving. Uh, first of all, Lions, could you put a little bit of budget? Could you at least, at least act like you're making an attempt? Act like you're making an effort to, to uh, you know, put on a decent halftime show. That's not a shot at Jack Harlow. He 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 did he he did with he did well, decent with whatever he had to work with. Um, I, I don't know if he should have pulled what the weekend pulled. Remember the weekend of the Super Bowl was given a certain budget, and then he added he he contributed some of his own uh, funds to to put on a, what I thought was an excellent halftime show. Maybe Jack Harlow should have done that. But then again, it's Thanksgiving. No one's really watching the Thanksgiving halftime show aside from Dolly Parton. Uh, you know, at least act like, at least act like you're making an effort, okay? That's all I'm asking. But after the game, Detroit lost 29-22 to the Packers. I'll touch on Green Bay after I get to Detroit. But uh, listen, it was not a great day for the Lions offense. If you look at Jared Goff's numbers, they're not bad. A couple touchdowns, a pass rating of 103, but a QBR of 15. That's why I love the stat QBR because it adds context because pass rating is based strictly off stats. Strictly, it's, it's what's your completion percentage, touchdowns, uh, only passing touchdowns, by the way. So, like, it doesn't help guys like Hurts or Lamar Jackson or guys like that, mobile guys. And then you look at interceptions, how many turnovers did you have, uh, all that. All You got to consider all those things into pass rating. QBR looks at the whole picture. Like, QBR doesn't come out until, like, a couple of hours, two, three hours after the game is over. And then you look at that, and you're like, okay, that's a better representation of how the guy played. So, listen, Detroit was, it was so, it's such a weird game. At least a weird first quarter. Because Green Bay comes out, they score a touchdown. Not terribly shocking. 
I mean, listen, they they put together a good script. Jordan Love was comfortable. They converted on third down, converted in the red zone. I mean, the first play of the game is a shot to Christian Watson. A little bit underthrown by Love. Watson made a great catch. Props to him. But Green Bay, like, if you don't come out with a great play script, that's a little bit, a little bit for the first half or the second half, that's kind of an indictment on the head coach or the offensive play caller, which in this case, they're the same guy. It's Matt LaFleur. So props to him, props to the Packers for executing there. But then the Lions go down. They score. Laporta catches the touchdown from Goff. And then it was just downhill from there for Detroit. Because the Green Bay responds again. They go right back down the field in 10 plays, burn up five and a half minutes off, score again. Uh, then, uh, 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 who was it? Uh, yeah, Jonathan Owens, who happens to be Simone Biles' husband, the great Simone Biles, uh, greatest gymnast of all time as far as I'm concerned. Her husband returns a fumble for a touchdown. Now it's 21-6, and now the Lions are having to play from behind for a second straight week. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with Detroit is I feel the same way about the Lions' offense, right now at least, that I feel about the Chiefs' offense, where there's a lot of panic in Kansas City. Oh, Lord, like we're, we're not cashing in the red zone. Turn the football over, the drops. doesn't look like the same offense it was a year ago, despite the fact that a lot of guys that are here now were here a year ago. But, guys, it's Mahomes, it's Reed, it's Kelsey. They're going to get it figured out. They're going to get it figured out. I kind of feel the same way about the Lions. Dan Campbell, you know, we make fun of the kneecap biting all this. He's a smart situational head coach. He's a guy who... You know, Dan Campbell gets the, in my opinion, completely undeserved and completely unfair moniker as like kind of a meathead. I don't like, I don't like that at all. Dan Campbell's a, first, first of all, he's a former player. So he, he knows the game from that aspect. And more than he gets credit for, he relies on analytics. Now, I think he kind of, he's, I don't say he uses it too much. Sometimes he's a little too reliant on analytics, but at least he uses them. Again, it's, it's like I saw a quote from Derek Jeter the other day talk about baseball. He said, and it's almost verbatim what I've said, so it, it felt good to have uh, one of the greatest ever validate me on that. Uh, Derek Jeter said, you, you, you should use analytics. You're doing a disservice to your ball club if you don't use them. But you can't measure guys' heartbeat. That's what Jeter said. So that's, and I, I don't think Dan Campbell is 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 um, unaware of those things. Like he, so it's, it's, it's a good mix of the two. Ben Johnson. Ben Johnson's going to be a head coach next year. I mean, but unless the Lions just crater offensively, Ben Johnson is going to be a head coach of the NFL, especially with all the job openings that they're going to be. The Chargers are going to want him. The Bears are going to want him. You know, I don't think Arizona will fire their head coach, but he'll have plenty of opportunities and plenty of options, I assume, this upcoming winter. But smart guy. Dan Campbell's a smart guy. Jared Goff has been a successful quarterback in this league now for eight years. They'll get it right. They've got the pieces. I'm going to say Brown. Jamison Williams, by the game, even though Detroit lost, looks more and more comfortable in that Lions offense. That's a good sign. You think about Jameer Gibbs. You think about David Montgomery, who's kind of their power back. They have arguably the best offensive line in football. So they have the pieces. They have the smart people. They have the talent. They have the coaching. I, I think they'll get that right. They're in a little bit of a rut right now. Again, they scored 22 in the game. They had 15 points with less than a minute left. So that, that was a garbage time touchdown. Obviously, they tried to get the onside kick and didn't get it. Scored 31 against Chicago, but a lot of that was in a late fourth quarter rally. And did score 41 against the Chargers uh, to their in, in their defense. But they're in a little bit of a rut right now offensively. It happens. Dallas had it. Philadelphia had it at, at one point. Jalen Hurts had a big turnover problem. So it, it, there's ebbs and flows. It's a 17-game season. The season's basically four months now. The regular season is at least. Like it's – you're going to have up and, ups and downs. You can't – if you're a team, if you're a coach, you can't just go with the flow. You can't go with whatever the tide is, 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 is doing. It's Detroit's defense I'm a little concerned about. I remember – 
when I was doing a show from from Disney World, because I remember certain like little nuggets there. I remember saying was when Detroit beat, I think it was Tampa Bay. Was it 20 to six? Uh, to six? Yeah, they beat Tampa Bay 20 to six. And then listen, Tampa Bay is in the running for the NFC South, a terrible division, but they're in the running. Detroit beat them. And I'm like, guys, uh, Detroit's top 10 in scoring offense and top 10 in scoring defense. And by the way, I knew the offense was going to be good. Why? It was good last year. And they brought back the same guys and added Jameer Gibbs. So more continuity, another offensive playmaker. I knew the Lions were going to be fine offensively. Defensively, they spent money in free agency. They drafted well. They dra- they spent uh, you know, used draft capital on, on defensive players a year ago. Aiden Hutchinson, second pick in the draft in 2022. So I'm like, another year with the same guys, adding new guys. Like, I think they'll turn it around. And for the most part, they kind of did. But ever since that Baltimore game, Remember they lost 38-6 to and there was this whole notion, oh, the Lions are frauds. I never bought into that. Still don't buy into that. I think no team in the NFC, Dallas, Philadelphia, San Francisco, they don't want to face Detroit. They don't. But ever since that game, they've struggled a little bit defensively. So they gave up 38 against the Ravens. Gave up 14 on the Raiders, but that was the Jimmy G Raiders. That was still the Josh McDaniels Raiders. So uh, you kind of put a little bit of asterisk next to that. Gave up 38 to the Chargers. Now that's Justin Herbert. That's Keenan Allen. They got playmakers in LA, but 38... You know, your offense kind of had to save you there. A lot of fourth down conversions. Gave up 26 to Justin Fields of the Bears, okay? Now, now, by the way, Chicago, weird story. They've scored a lot of points this year, so maybe you kind of, but the 28 to the Pack, 29 to the Packers, Jordan Love has his best game as a pro, arguably, other than the first game against Chicago. Like, there's, now some of its injuries in the secondary. My man, Emmanuel Mosley, Tennessee guy, got hurt early on after unfortunately getting hurt last season. You got to factor those things in the equation. They do matter. How are they able to bounce back? Now, the good news is for Detroit, they got the Saints coming up. Saints are, you know, Saints fans feel about Carmichael, the offensive coordinator, the same way I and every other Steelers fan felt about Matt Canada. Get him out of there. Like, fire him. Like, we got the pieces. Just got to move on from the guy. Same same energy. So, you know, you don't know what the Saints are going to be in that game. And they play the Bears. Again, they can score, but it's the Bears. Denver is 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 playing good football, but it's not because they're scoring a lot of points. It's because they're efficient. They're not turning the ball over. They're running the football. It's kind of conservative, but Russell's making plays in the fourth quarter. That's why how Denver's winning games offensively. It's not because they look like you know the Kansas City Chiefs historically with Mahomes and Reed. Minnesota, okay, but Minnesota's got pieces offensively. Dallas, we know what they have offensively. Minnesota again. So there are some games where Detroit can maybe take advantage, and some games where it's like they'll be tested. And whether or not they can bounce back, whether or not they can make adjustments remains to be seen. I think they can. I think they have the personnel and the coaching staff to do so. Uh, but we'll see. I, I'm, in a, I'm in a weird spot with Detroit because I'm, I'm still going to – listen, I believe as strongly as anybody in pick integrity. I don't believe in switching up your pick. Okay, last year I picked – is the worst thing I've ever done on carving up line. The most embarrassing thing I've ever done was picking the Broncos to win the Super Bowl. Okay, that did not work out at all. They were one of the worst teams in the league. As an added bonus, I picked them to beat the Rams. The Rams were equally bad. But I didn't switch my pick. I, I, I said who I thought was going to win, and it was Kansas City around midseason, which I ended up being right, but that was my pick. Okay, the Broncos were my pick. This year, Chiefs were my pick to win the, the AFC and went to win it all. Dallas was my pick to win the NFC. And Detroit was my pick to get to the NFC title game and lose to Dallas. Not moving off of that, but there are legitimate concerns there that you got to worry about if you're a Detroit Lions fan. We'll see if they're able to adjust. Let's see here. Uh, Patrick, see this, this See this is why I love Patrick, guys. First of all, he's a great human being. I, I just want to let you all know that. But he's he's 
He's great with the puns. Lions got caged. It's nice job there, uh, Patrick, by Green Bay. The biggest loss was Jack Harlow's cardboard. <laughs> cardboard box halftime set. The Lions did the most Detroit thing and can't get a win on Turkey Day. They cannot. They they are, which his, it, a lot of that's historically because the Lions have been kind of an embarrassing franchise. But, I mean, if there was ever an opportunity for Detroit, I mean, Green Bay is, is, is in as low of a point as they've been in a while. Detroit's in as high of a point as they've ever been in a while. It's like, you know, sometimes history just comes in and repeats itself. Green Bay's obviously historically been the more successful franchise. Patrick says, I didn't know if it was good Green Bay offense or bad Detroit defense. Detroit liked ed edge and fire from the jump. It should have been a blowout if truth be told. Well, look, the Lions were seven, seven and a half point favorites, so Vegas kind of agrees with you, Patrick. Uh, maybe not necessarily a blowout, but they did expect, and I certainly expected Detroit to kind of control that game throughout. I think I had 31 to 20 Lions uh, in that game. So I expect them to be good offensively. They're always good at home on the offensive side of the ball, so again, a little concerning there, but I think they'll bounce back on the offensive side of the football. And by the way, Green Bay's got some good defensive players. Okay, they've got, uh, what's that guy? Clark, I think is the guy's name, the def defensive tackle. They've got Rashawn Gary, who's been amazing. Uh, good, good players in secondary, Alexander. So some of it's that too. It's a mix of both, Patrick. Uh, Alexander Johnson, what's up, AJ? From the Cam Fan Podcast, he said, I thought the Lions would come, come back in the second, make it a bit of a game with it, but they lost. Uh, they lost it before halftime, unfortunately. It felt like they lost the first quarter. I mean, it was, I mean we're, we're entering the second quarter, 21-6 Packers. It's like, what the heck is going on right now? Division rivalry, the familiarity. I didn't take that into account because I thought the Lions were just straight up better than the Packers. Still do, but sometimes that happens. AJ, too bad Green Bay didn't have Valdez Scantling still. LOL. Yeah, that wouldn't have that would have helped Detroit's case, given all the, the drops that the poor guys had uh, in recent days. But uh, by the way, AJ Campfan guys, we're in Big D. We're in Dallas, Texas, to see the Cowboys take on the Commanders. Uh, they saw the Dolly Parton halftime show. They saw Dak do his thing. They saw their guy. They call him Duran, not so bland. They've had that nickname for a while now. They've they've they've, they've liked this guy from the jump. So props to him. Um, they got to witness the record-breaking pick six in person, which was which was pretty cool. And uh, ch check out their Instagram. Check out all. Of, obviously, subscribe to our YouTube channel the whole bit. But uh, Cowboys Campfan is, is 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 it's good stuff. Good stuff. Jimmy Johnson, the Hall of Famer Jimmy Johnson, literally commented on their post uh, from Sunday when, when it was announced that he was going to the Cowboys Ring of Honor on, on December 30th. So they're, they're, they're doing well. So shout out to the Camp Fan guys. Some of the best in the business. I'm very, very fortunate to have them as friends and as grid network teammates. Okay, so we had the three games yesterday. Three games yesterday. We had the game today, Black Friday. Dolphins, Jets, of course, the NFL thought that this was going to be a much better game in the preseason because they the Jets got this guy. You may have heard of him. His name is Aaron Rodgers, and he, of course, was was not available um, because he, you know, of course, towards Achilles and the Jets season has pretty much gone to hell ever since. But they benched Zach Wilson, who might be the worst quarterback in the league for a guy who's even worse than him, a guy who, and I'm not in the slightest, this is not, this is not hyperbole. This is not, I'm just, making stuff up, Tim Boyle. And I don't, I don't want to sound brutal on the guy because this is not a personal shot because when you, when you say certain things, it can come off as personal, it come off like you don't like the person. I don't know Tim Boyle. Don't know anything about him. So I, this is not a personal shot. Tim Boyle should not be in the NFL, point blank. He should not be in the NFL. Heck, I'm not sure he should be in the XFL. Here's his, this is his college stats. And I'm not joking when I say this. 
Tim Boyle's college stats in total, 12 touchdowns, 26 interceptions. It gets worse. His first three years at UConn, see, he cleaned it up a lot in 2017, uh, albeit he had 13 interceptions when he was at Eastern Kentucky. At UConn, this is from 2013 to 2015, Tim Boyle, I'm not joking, had one touchdown and 12 interceptions. And he started an NFL game today. This is not a personal shot at Tim, but it it helps. Again, like I, I've said before on the show, I'll say it again because I believe it to be true. Like the NFL is one of the last uh, meritocracies that we have um, in America where it is you being in the league, you staying in the league. More times than not, we've had situations in the past, i.e. Colin Kaepernick, where you know we've had situations where your your talents are sometimes not good enough in the eyes of some people, which is quite unfortunate. Um, but overwhelmingly so, you're in the league because you're you deserve to be in the league. Uh, Tim Boy is in the league because he's buddies with Aaron Rodgers. Let's just let's just keep it real. He's in the NFL because he's buddies with Aaron Rodgers. Nathaniel Hackett is an offensive coordinator in the NFL because he's buddies with Aaron Rodgers. Randall Cobb is still in the NFL. Now, Randall Cobb's been a darn good receiver for the vast majority of his career. Randall Cobb's in the NFL still because he's buddies with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, the Jets have a limited receiving core, and Randall Cobb can't get on the field. I mean, that tells you all you should, all you need to know. So, Jets are in a tough spot. Miami, listen, two things I took away from that Miami game, or three games. One, they seem to have established a consistent running game, which I really praised them for early in the season when they were running the ball on the Chargers and the Patriots, which we look at the Patriots now. You know, the two and eight, but they, they established a good run. So I saw that. They had the pick six at the end of the first half when it literally, and my, my man John Rivera, who's a big Jets fan, shout out to John. John, one of the best guys in this business, but he's a long suffering Jets fan. And he tweeted, Well, that play basically summed up the entire Jets season or the Jets in general. So I felt bad for it. Listen, I, the Jets fans are good people. My man Alfred's a Jets fan. John, John, they, 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 they they've been through a lot. Haven't been to the playoffs since the, since the second year of the Obama administration. That's that's a long time ago. Long time ago. And Patrick, we're, we're, before I get to Patrick's um, comment, I, I the, the third thing to say, uh, yo, Tua's arm, his 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 right arm, it's just, you know, he's a lefty. His right arm, my Lord. Uh, bro, that, that, they tried to patch it up. That puppy needs stitches, which, you know, that thing needs stitches, like, now, um, that was, man. But Patrick says, MetLife turf is cursed. You're darn right it's cursed. Jalen Phillips is another player whose Achilles snapped and ended his season. I, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if they put enough resources. Listen, it's been in some way scientifically proven, and players have advocated like crazy to have all stadiums have, have uh, 100% grass and not artificial turf. MetLife, it's that on steroids. I mean, it is. It sucks, man. Feel bad for the guys that that have suffered. See, I mean, I'll never forget a few years ago when the 49ers played the Jets. I think it was 2020. The Niners weren't very good that year after barely losing the Super Bowl. But that's in large part because they lost Nick Bosa to a torn. Uh, I think it was a torn ACL for Bosa, and then they lost. I think was it Armstead or somebody else to to a, a season-ending injury. It was like, and I, th- I think it was like back-to-back plays or something. It's like, geez, could, could you at least consider upgrading the turf? I mean, guys are going down constantly. It's a Excuse me, it's it's rough. It's I, I can't believe the NFL still still allows them to do it. Obviously, they'll have to finish the season, I guess, in this last month and a half. But this offseason, they they got to upgrade the turf, if not totally get rid of it and replace it with with uh, with with real grass. Uh, 
I mean, that's kind of like what the Cardinals do. The, I think the Cardinals grow their grass in like Alabama uh, and then, you know, fly it to Arizona. Or, yeah, I guess fly it to Arizona and they play on real grass. So there you go. So again, with the three games yesterday and the one game today, and we are we are in for a great college football weekend. Last college football weekend of the regular season, of course, the the main event, the the biggest game of the season, really, is Michigan Ohio State, which I will touch on. But first, it is the final edition, and this is very bittersweet. I I, I mean this. I'm not gonna get all weepy eyed on the show. I'm not, not gonna do that because it will come back for the bowl game. But it is the final edition in the inaugural season of the Volview. This, my friends, is the regular season finale. So the Volview, week 13, in-state rivalry, although really it's not that much of a rivalry, Tennessee versus Vanderbilt. The Volview starts right now. Tennessee. Yes, indeed it is. The Vol View right now, 3.30 Eastern tomorrow. Tennessee takes on Vanderbilt in the final home game of the season for the Vols. Uh, I mean, last, last game in general. I might have mistakenly said last week that it was the home finale when they took on Georgia. Uh, got <laughs> got blitzed by Georgia. But, uh, you know, I, I, so I, I, I apologize for that. I don't know why I thought the Tennessee-Vanderbilt game was in Nashville, but... It is not. It is in Knoxville and is, of course, senior day for the ball. So what to make of this season for Tennessee is really what the vibe of the segment is. Because, listen, I, and I'll just go ahead and put this up. Uh, Tennessee's a 27-point favorite. Missouri, I'm sorry, Missouri. Vanderbilt is is awful, beyond awful. That's usually how their football program is. That And, and listen, in their defense, their baseball program, dang good. Okay, it's one, it's one of the premier base, college baseball programs in America. Has been for a very, very long time. They've sent a lot of guys to the big leagues. Uh, their football leaves a lot to be desired, and they will always, and I do mean always, be little brother to the Vols. So go and put up the final score. I don't think it'll be particularly close. 49-13 to 13, Tennessee. Again, Vols are 27-point favorites, and for good reason. Uh, Vandy is, is again, beyond terrible. Uh, Vandy has not beaten a team in the Southeastern Conference this season. They're coming off of a 47-6 to 6 Drubbing, I guess, is how you could you could put it against the Vander against the South Carolina Gamecocks, who have kind of been disappointed this season. But Tennessee's going to blow out Vanderbilt and get to eight and four and finish the regular season eight and four. What to make though of this Tennessee season? So I predicted, and clearly I was quite wrong on this, that the Vols would make the college football playoff as the number three team. I said we go eleven and one. One loss would be to Georgia, and while we would not win the SEC East, the strength of schedule would be highly impressive. You would have beaten Florida on the road. You say Florida. Bryson, five and six Florida. Could miss a bowl game. Yes. Tennessee's cursed in Florida. Two wins at the Swamp since 1977. They can't beat Florida. They can beat Florida in Gainesville, which they haven't done since 
was it 2003? I think it was like, that's that, that'd be a, a big time accomplishment on the road against Alabama. We see Alabama's playing as of late. That would be, you know, something to, to hang your hat on beating Missouri would be, it would be, uh, you know, again, something else to, for Tennessee to, to hang their hat on to, as, for an impressive resume, 11 and one, they get to the playoff. Now, even if they did, I'm not going to lie to y'all looking at the college football playoff landscape. I actually don't think they would get in uh, despite a solid strength of schedule, just because of how much, how much of a, a, a cluster it is to try and fight and get those last couple of spots uh, in in the college football playoff. Obviously, this still being a four-team playoff. But look, Tennessee comes into the season. They were, I think, 11th ranked in the nation. They took on uh, Virginia. It was in Nashville. Had a, a buddy of mine go there. That game is, is a great atmosphere. 12th ranked in the country. I apologize. 12th ranked in the country. Tennessee got as high as ninth. In the country before a it, it, probably one of the more unimpressive wins of the year, kind of barely escaping Austin P by the skin of our teeth. Although the score may not indicate it, of course you got losses to Florida, you got losses to Alabama, you've got losses to the Missouri Tigers. So like it's it's and then of course a loss most recently last week to Georgia, and I was there at that game, and it was listen. It was a great atmosphere from the sense of it, the fact that it was the loudest Neyland Stadium had ever been, over 130 decibels. When I tell you that place was deafening, I, it, it was, you could not hear it, anything. And we were under like a, we were under like the second deck where we were sitting, so it was even louder, like just reverberated where, where we were at. So it was an incredible, incredible uh, moment there in Knoxville. Tennessee actually scored a 75-yard touchdown on the, on the first play from scrimmage and, of course, went down from here. Uh, from there, Georgia outscored us 38-3. to And uh, Carson Beck played unbelievable. Brock Bowers is by far the best tight end in college football. I think he's going to be a top 10 pick in this upcoming draft. Tennessee lost. They were supposed to lose. Georgia's the best team in America and the back-to-back defending champions. For the Vols, though, what is the optimistic approach or the optimistic viewpoint at the end of this year, the optimistic vol view, so to speak, is to use the name of this this very segment. You're going to beat Vanderbilt. You're going to go eight and four. You're going to get a solid bowl game, probably against like an NC State or somebody. You know, a solid ACC team. Although, does that really exist? That conference is abysmal. But you hope to finish nine and four. We'll see how that goes. And then you go into next season, where it's okay. Alabama is a, uh, is a home game. Florida's a home game. Can't can't win in the swamp, but we can beat we can beat Florida at home in Neyland Stadium. We've done it twice within the last decade, so it is it is very doable, especially where we're at from a talent perspective compared to them and a coaching perspective, frankly. And as far as the coach, that's something to, to hit on as well. Is the fact that Josh Heupel? What did we know him as coming into the season? We knew him as this guy who liked to throw it a lot, 30, 40 attempts in some instances per game, throwing it all over the yard. Run the football here and there. Keep the defense honest, and they could run the football efficiently. But this year, and this is not a shot at the guy because I genuinely like him as a human being, and I've, 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 I wanted to get him to get to a, a certain level so much, but he, he just couldn't. Is is Joe Milton, who has I think inarguably the best arm in college football, but not terribly accurate, and not a great. Uh, not great field vision, doesn't see it terribly well. Uh, he, you know, he threw an interception. He's thrown multiple interceptions this year where he like stared the guy down. Like that's that's kind of a problem that's that's become apparent over the course of the season. Uh, so listen, Joe is what he is. I'm, I'm not going to be brutal on the guy, but Josh Heupel in a major way, and it kind of started with the South Carolina game. It moved to the Texas A&M game after that. Is the fact that Tennessee moved from a throw it all over the yard type of offense to run the football, kind of conservative 
not taking a lot of shots down the field because, frankly, we don't really trust our quarterback to to to, to hit sh- uh, deep shots and, and be efficient and accurate in doing so. So Josh Heupel, I know Tennessee fans hate him. Why is beyond me. Uh, he's, he's the best coach we've had since the Hall of Famer Philip Fulmer, and that's I think all Falls fans would agree with that. But he had to he had to literally change his offensive scheme and philosophy midseason. That's not an easy thing to do. And props to him for adjusting. Tennessee might be sitting here at seven and five because Kentucky was a dicey one, as was Texas A&M. I mean, Tennessee could be sitting here. You know, they need to win this game to make a bowl game. So Josh Heupel deserves a lot of credit for that. For um. For, for changing the offense and allowing us to, to win the games that maybe we wouldn't have won had he not adjusted, had he not adapted. That's what any great coach does. But next year, this kid, and I hope I'm saying his last name correctly because I've heard multiple pronunciations of it, Nico Iamaleva, and I hope, Nico, if you're watching, that I'm saying your name correctly, uh, in on many recruiting websites, the best quarterback in high school football coming into Tennessee it was either him on some websites. It was Arch Manning. who was at Texas on other websites. He will be the guy in 2024. And um, he had the number one high school quarterback pairing with one of the smartest offensive coaches in college football. We assume Tennessee will, will recruit well. They have good depth at wide receiver. They'll go. They'll be active in the transfer portal. Tennessee always has a good offensive line. Yeah. Balls will be back in 2024. I'm just telling you that right now. They will be back in 2024. And I'll put up the final score one more time. They will knock off Vanderbilt once again, 49 to 13 in Knoxville, in Neyland Stadium, finished with an eight and four regular season record. And then, of course, we'll see next week who the bowl game is up against. Again, probably an ACC team, although we'll we'll see. That's 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 TBD. It's to be determined. But the Vols will finish this season strong. There's still a lot of good positives, a lot of good takeaways. Again, we got to keep perspective. And I'm talking to Vols fans right now. We got to keep perspective on this, okay? Last year was about as Close to magical as we've had in some time in Knoxville. I mean, at one point, Tennessee was the number one ranked team in all the country. We beat Alabama into the long losing streak. We destroyed teams like Kentucky. We beat Florida, which we struggled to do for in, in many instances. So we beat LSU badly, I might add, on the road. I mean, it was, it was, but lost to Georgia on the road. The house of horrors for us on the road against South Carolina. It was it was a rough end of the season, but days like that, seasons like that, that's going to come. This year's a transition year. It was eight and four. I've seen worse transition years than eight and four. Let's just put it that way. I'm just I'm just telling you right now. So that is it. This week's edition of the Vol View. Let's get a win against Vanderbilt tomorrow, Vols. Shout out to all the seniors. Thank you for all the stuff you have done at Tennessee, helping to rebuild the culture for sticking around through some tough, tough days in 2020, especially uh, with the coaching situation and off-the-field stuff and whatnot. Shout out to you seniors. God bless y'all. Hope you have a great senior day. You play well. Hopefully all the seniors get at least maybe a little bit of field action, although maybe it might not be possible for some guys. But shout out to all y'all. Tennessee will win 49-13 against Vanderbilt, and that is it for this week's edition and this regular season's edition of The Vol View.
in Tennessee. There you go. There you go. Let's see. We got some comments here. Uh, uh, let's see. Patrick Brown. Hopefully my Seminoles take care of Florida. Even without Jordan Travis, who suffered a gruesome leg injury, our national title hopes in it afterwards. Yeah, that man, I, I felt so bad for that kid. And listen, I have I have been at the front of the Florida State is is not one of the four best teams. I don't care what their record is. The ACC is awful. They've survived. They barely survived some pretty mid-tier to below-average teams in the ACC. They're not close to Texas or Washington or Oregon. Some of those teams are going to be fighting for that for that last spot in the playoff. But, man, Jordan Travis seems like a good kid. He's had a really good season, really good career at Florida State. Just, it was a, To see him go down with that injury was just, first of all, it was a nasty play, obviously. But, man, I feel bad for him. I, I mean, for any guy, and I can say this as a guy, as a Hinton Hooker fan, last year to have his college career, his Tennessee career end on a torn ACL, it's just like, dang, after all he's put in, that's how it ends. And so I, I guarantee you, Patrick, and all Florida State fans, that's how y'all feel about Jordan Travis. So it sucks. And um, wishing the very best. You know, a lot of NFL prospects were thinking, hey, maybe late first rounder, early second rounder. This will no question hurt his draft stock. But, you know, he'll have an opportunity, at least we hope, to to rebound and, and be better than he was before. So shout out Jordan Travis and prayers for a very speedy recovery. AJ from the Cam Fam. Bryson, we've got that Dolly Parton video for you, too. I appreciate that. I knew y'all come through because uh, I hit up the Cam Fam, guys. I said, listen, I hit up AJ, really. That's who I, that's who I was talking to. I said, okay. Y'all going to Dallas. I said, this is all I want y'all to do. I, I, like, you don't have to record the whole thing, but could you get one video of the Dolly Parton performance? Okay, like I said, I'm a Tennessee guy. Dolly is, she, she's beloved internationally. In Tennessee, oh, she is as, as adored as anybody. I mean, the only close second is probably Peyton Manning, who last year, or last year, last week in Neyland, walked her out. It was a really cool moment. Two Tennessee legends. Uh, although Peyton isn't from Tennessee, he's from Louisiana, but still, Obviously, he's ball fans are gonna remember him quite fondly, and that's putting it mildly. But it's really a really cool moment there. Patrick, I've got Michigan destroying Ohio State. Well, Patrick, my friend, I completely agree with you. Now, maybe not destroying Ohio State. Maybe not destroying Ohio State because Ohio State, we got to give them love in the sense that they are a very, very good football team. They've had some impressive wins, Penn State. Notre Dame doesn't look as impressive today, but to go to go to Notre Dame night game college football, uh, or, I'm sorry, um, college game that was there, ESPN. That's that's not an easy, easy place to go win a football game, and they did at, did literally at the gun final play of the game. Excuse me, one. But given the allegations against Michigan, and by the way, not all of them, all of them not totally undeserved. Is that a double negative? I guess it was. Let me rephrase that. All of them not totally undeserved. Michigan did. I think we would all agree go a little too far, push the envelope a little too much in terms of the advanced scouting and to a certain degree. However, this notion that this, oh my gosh, this is the Houston Astros in 2017. Guys, I think the comedian, Bill Burr, and I'm not even like a Bill, like I'm more of a Chappelle guy, Chris Rock guy. But Bill Burr, I th- he was on the Rich Eisen show. I think this was last week, if not the week before. I think it was last week. He was like promoting one of his new projects, one of his new movies or something, TV shows. And <laughs> Bill Burr, who's a big Patriots fan, Boston guy's hilarious. He said, uh, he said, actually, I kind of respect Michigan for it. He said, you know, people are thinking about this whole science dealing. See, in baseball, this is what Bill Burr said, but baseball, it's okay. 
we're going to spiny. We're going to use cameras from up top and see, okay, this is the exact pitch he's throwing. In college football, like, you know, kind of like Bill Burr was saying, this, it isn't literally guys on the sideline, hey, this play is going to go, the court, number eight, the quarterback is going to throw the ball to number 26. Like, it's not that. It's not, okay, that's the play. There are, listen, this isn't the Matt Canada Steelers offense where Dan Orlovsky said it, said it best, where when the Steelers line up in a formation, you know the play because there's like one play per formation. It's incredibly predictable. That's not the case with any offensive coordinator with their salt. So, and the fact that a lot of the allegations were coming from Ohio State, given the bad blood that was already there, Matt, uh, uh, Ryan Day and and Jim Harbaugh, who obviously won't be coaching this game, don't care too much for each other. I'm, I'm telling y'all, I remember when Michigan played Penn State two weeks ago. And Penn State, that's a tough place to go win a game. Now, Penn State's a little overrated, but that's a tough place to go win a game over there. And... A lot of the notion, because that's when the Harbaugh punishment came down, at least the, at least the first Harbaugh punishment came down, that he couldn't coach any of the games the rest of the, of the regular season. And there was a lot of the, man, this can be hard for these kids to, to rebound. It's a lot of press, a lot of negative press, a lot of attention. Like, man, it could be too much. And they throttled Penn State. They threw, didn't they throw like one pass in the second half? It was something crazy. And the, the interim head coach was getting emotional, and Blake Corum and the other players for Michigan were getting emotional. I'm telling y'all. It's at home in the big house. Oh, I, if Ohio State wins, hats off. Like, God bless y'all. But I, I'm telling y'all, I am. Michigan State is a three and a half point favorite. I am all over that. All over that. Vegas is handing him money. Go, listen, I'm a Vols fan, but go Wolverines. Go blue. Is that what they say? Go blue? Whatever. Go big blue. Go blue. All the blues. Go Michigan. Beat Ohio State. I'd, I'd love that. Patrick, Michigan will win, in all caps, the game. And whoever comes out of the Big Ten West, they'll get embarrassed. There's no question. I think it's Iowa, Patrick. The Iowa's coming out of the Big Ten. Iowa, who, literally, Iowa, it's so funny. They're, um, let me finish your comment, uh, Patrick. He says, if the Wolverines have any logical chance to win at all, what a redemptive story it will be. No question. Iowa, it's so funny, because that's who did win the Big Ten West. And I think I Iowa is ranked in the top 25. Uh, they are ranked number, if I can pull them up here. Yeah, they won today over Nebraska, 13 to 10. Iowa is literally, their, their uniforms look like the Pittsburgh Steelers and their games look like the Pittsburgh Steelers. I mean, it is, it's unbelievable where you've got, they're struggling offensively, but they win games because of their defense. Here's the score of some of Iowa's games, okay? They got shut up, well, they got shut up 31 to nothing by Penn State, but 20 to 14 against Purdue, 15 to 6 over Wisconsin. They lost to Minnesota 12 to 10. They beat Northwestern 10 to 7. They beat Illinois 2 weeks ago 15-13 and then they beat Nebraska literally today 13 to 10. Like they they are literally the Pittsburgh Steelers of college football. Uniforms look like the Steelers. I mean it's it's uh, it's something else. But yes, yeah, so whoever comes uh, whoever wins this game is going to crush Iowa. Patrick, I could I could care less about Ohio State. I'm a Michigan football fan. I'm a Michigan football fan living here in the Midwest. I dislike Ohio State much as I do the Miami Hurricanes. I, I thought you – so are you a fan of Michigan and and uh, Florida State? I respect that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, I, I didn't know Mich Michigan fan, so, yeah, shout-out to y'all. Shout-out to Michigan. It would be great for that fan base. They haven't seen a national championship in a while. I don't know why. I'm looking at my my TV right now. 
And for some odd reason, it looks like the picture quality is a little blurred. Let me check my, on the fly here, let me check the YouTube on my phone. Because I want to give you all the best best quality content that we possibly can, can give you. Uh, no, it looks fine on my phone. Looks fine on my phone, so it doesn't look like that's a problem on, on I guess maybe it's a TV thing. I don't know, but that's where we're at. Probably a Wi-Fi problem with my TV for all I know. Okay, so before I get to my NFL picks, NBA story. And has it, by the way, has it not been a fun NBA season thus far? I think the in-season tournament, again, bravo to Adam Silver. This was a great idea. Uh, before that, comment by Patrick. Okay, yeah, Patrick says, I'm a fan of Michigan and Florida State. I grew up watching both teams. Respect. Michigan, that's your, that's your, kind of your regional team. And Florida State, I, I respect that. No doubt about it. And, and Michigan, I, I did pit Michigan, by the way, to win the national title before the season and beat Georgia. And I still feel pretty good about that. Although today, I think Georgia's better. Okay. NBA story that I did want to touch on because it does involve my team, the Golden State Warriors, who are now, as we sit here today, 7-9. and nine. We do have a game against Wimby and the Spurs tonight. I feel good about our chances to win that one. But uh, I can talk about the Warriors all I want, and, you know, about, about how the bench, <laughs> the bench, it's so weird. I have less confidence in the starters than I do the bench, and it's never been that way ever as a Warriors fan, really for any basketball team. I feel better about the kids than I do Wiggins, who I think is going to bounce back, Clay, who's playing better. I don't know what's going on with some of the starters, but the point is, late first half, Warriors are playing the Phoenix Suns uh, in, in Phoenix, Arizona, and the Suns are up. I want to make sure I'm getting this right because it is, it's it's worth mentioning. Uh, the Suns are up 59-47, to 47, so they're playing well in that second quarter. It's kind of slipping away from the Warriors a little bit. And Mr. Chris Paul and Mr. Scott Foster, Chris Paul, point guard for the Golden State Warriors, Scott Foster, longtime NBA official, who we all, I'm sure, are aware, have a history together. And um, and Chris Paul didn't like a call that Scott Foster made on, on a foul that he committed against Kevin Durant. So he goes to him, he argues, whatever. Kept arguing, you know, drew it out a little bit. Scott Foster teed him up. Okay, that's fine. You, 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 you know, that's kind of a cardinal cardinal sin. If you keep going, if you keep arguing the call, keep going, a ref's going to tee you up. That's that's as, we, we all know that. There's nothing wrong with that uh, from the ref's perspective. The problem is with the second tech, where Chris Paul's like, man, are you kidding me? And I do, when I say seconds, I mean seconds later. T, you're gone. And Steve Kerr didn't like it. Steve Kerr's like, man, are you kidding me? Steve Kerr gets a technical himself. And uh, you heard even Steph Curry after the game saying, yeah, I didn't like that ejection. And Steph, Steph's not a guy who like openly bashes officials. That's not, you know, you don't ever see Steph Curry fine for taking shots at officials. That's, that's not, that's not his brand. Uh, he's not a confrontational guy. It's just not, who he is by nature. I'm going to repeat something that Stephen A. Smith said on first take yesterday. Um, Scott Foster should never officiate a game that involves Chris Paul. It's it's that simple. You can. It's one thing because let's be honest, players and officials. I'll, I'll just put it this way: player don't players don't love refs. I mean, it's aren't the refs kind of the butt of every joke or fans boo and they don't like the call. If they lose a close game. Oh, it's the refs fault. We know how that goes. It's another thing if one individual ref and one individual player dislike, not just dislike each other, have a legit beef with each other. A, be a beef. Chris Paul after the game. And if I can pull up the quote, because it is worth mentioning uh, what Chris Paul said about Scott Foster. He said, "Let me." I've got the quote here. This is from, uh, I think this is from Kendra Andrews of ESPN. This is what Chris Paul said. And I quote, It's personal. We had a situation some years ago, and it's personal. The league knows 
everybody knows. There was a meeting and all that. I'm okay with the ref saying whatever they're saying, but don't use a tech to get your, your point across. And um, and he said, quote, it was a whole thing talking about apparently when Chris Paul played for the played for the Clippers that there was something regarding, it says, this is the article on ESPN, after Wednesday night's game, Paul alluded to an incident involving his son and Foster while he was a member of the Clippers, saying it that it led to a meeting at the time with himself, his father, Foster, and former Clippers coach Doc Rivers. He declined to reveal any more details about the incident. So I don't know if Scott Foster said anything about CP3's son. I, I, I don't know. Like Chris Paul wouldn't wouldn't go beyond that. You completely understand that. So that's a that's a private matter. But if it is indeed true, and I mean, there's no reason for Chris Paul to drag his son into that uh, into that for no reason, of course. Uh, they they can't they can't be on the same floor together. They can't. And if you're Adam Silver, you know there's there's it's sort of a tight line you got to walk, where it's oh well if a player always dislikes an official oh you're just going to remove them and it's and it's not it's not even a situation where oh removing Scott Foster gives the Warriors a competitive advantage. It's not even the case. I mean Chris Paul is three and seventeen in his playoff career when Scott Foster calls games. That's that's not a fact that we need to just dismiss and and act like it's irrelevant because it's not. But in the day, do refs Dictate outcomes of games, yes, but I'd say it's about three to five percent. If 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 that, if that, because a lot some of these games are blowouts, a lot of it's just situational basketball. At the end of the day, these close games and Chris Paul uh, historically has been pretty pretty darn good with that. He, they don't call him the point god for no reason. Just because he does have a ring does not make him like this playoff choker. Um, this that that can't happen anymore though. Foster CP3, ironically, and I didn't know this. This surprised me. It was the first time Scott Foster has ever ejected Chris Paul, which I saw that. I'm like, really? Given their history, and listen, the fact of the matter is Chris Paul is, when it comes to incidents with refs, heck, incidents with other players, Chris Paul's no innocent dove. That should be mentioned. Again, full context. He's no innocent dove. He's, I wouldn't say he's to the level of a Draymond Green. Um, I darn sure wouldn't say he's to the level of a Dylan Brooks. But is he past Patrick Beverly? Probably so. Probably so. That's that's a fair thing to say. He's he's been known for some cheap shots below the belt. He's been known for a couple of fringe to totally cross the crossing the line dirty plays in the past. There's no question about that. But when it comes to a situation where you have two people on the court, one of them is not a player, and there's an animosity between the two, you got you got to remove that. You, you got to quell that situation before it gets worse. Because if Scott Foster's calling a game. Uh, between the Warriors and whoever else in the playoffs. And I'm not just saying this is the Warriors. I'd say this if Chris Paul was a Laker, if he was a Clipper, if he was back with the Clippers, or he was a, if he was a Grizzly, whoever. And Scott Foster's calling the game. That's You know that's going to be a storyline. You know that's, a, that, that's going to be something that Scott Foster is either consciously or subconsciously thinking about. The same can be said about Chris Paul, and it taints the product. It just does. And so something's got to be done about it, and I think this, the easiest way, the simplest way, Get Scott Foster off of any floor that involves Chris Paul. It's as simple as that. Uh, and again, honest to God, I would say this if he were not a warrior. I, I really would. I've always been a Chris Paul guy. Um, and, and, and this is full disclosure for those of you that may not know. I, I'm about as, you could call me about as pro-ref, pro-official as they come. Like it, it drives me crazy. When after games, the fans, oh, it's rigged. The refs had money on this game. Listen, not everybody's, what's the, what was the guy's name? Uh, Tim, was it Tim Donahue was the guy's name? who got kicked out of the NBA because he gambled on games as a ref. Like, that's the, he, he very much deserved it. Like, that's, that's an outlier. That's, in most cases, not the case. But, 
games are overwhelmingly decided by the players and by the coaches, not the officials. Are there bad calls here and there? Are there, like, the missed pass interference between the Saints and the Rams? Horrible call, one of the worst calls I've ever seen missed. Tuck rule game. But these are single, solitary events that we usually don't see repeated. We, we, we really don't. So, all those things had to be factored into consideration. Maybe it's because I was a ref last year. I was an intramural ref at, at, at my college. Maybe it's some of that. Um, but I do believe, because I did ref some basketball games, and certainly these are not NBA games, and I'm not comparing myself to the tremendous officials that that, that ref uh, NBA games. But in my book, and this is the way I did it, you had to earn a technical. Listen, I'm not trying to sound like this old school get off my lawn, but you had to earn a technical. If you... It's one thing to, to 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 curse, not necessarily curse a guy, but say, "Hey, I didn't like that call," and it obviously includes some, some some choice language in that. But I think you need to get to a situation where if a guy crosses the line, if he takes shots at you personally, if he just keeps going again, if you draw it out, you keep going on and on. Okay, you got to see the guy up. You got to say, "Hey, enough of this. Let's move on." So that's that's my vantage point. But I'm not an NBA ref, so I I get that perspective. But Scott Foster can't be roughing any games with Chris Paul. He just can't. You know, if, if there was an issue between, you know, Angel Hernandez, who's the most infamous, you never want to be a famous ref. Like that's, you don't want that. Unless you're going to go into TV like Gene Steratore has at CBS. But you never, like Angel Hernandez is probably the most well-known umpire in Major League Baseball. If Angel Hernandez had a problem with Bryce Harper, and there was like the two genuinely did not like each other whatsoever, they like, and that's subconscious there, then you can't have Angel Hernandez doing Bryce Harper games. You simply can't. I think this is the same thing with Chris Paul and Scott Foster. That's just my two cents. All right. We had some interesting matchups yesterday in Thanksgiving, and also interesting matchup today in the NFL regarding the Jets and the Dolphins. But we have some fun games on Sunday, some very fun games with some, some big-time implications. And we are entering that part of the season. We're now post-Thanksgiving, gearing up for the holidays for Christmas, and we're kind of starting to decide, okay, who's in the playoffs? Who are the pretenders? Who are the real contenders? Who are just going to be the teams that's going to be fighting for a playoff spot and not much beyond that? So, we can, whoops, if we can get the uh, background music going right here. Let's start with a huge... Huge AFC South matchup. The Jacksonville Jaguars, the Houston Texans from Houston. Jaguars still on the road at minus two. They are two-point favorites on the road. So, obviously, this right now, at least for the time being, will determine who is first place in the AFC South. If the Texans win, they're tied with the Jaguars with a 7-4 and four record, but Houston beat Jacksonville back in week three. They will have beaten them, obviously, Sunday and have the, the upper hand, have the tiebreaker. For Jacksonville, this is an opportunity to create some separation. If you go into December, uh, excuse me, a two-game lead in the division, especially when you consider the fact that the Jaguars really peaked at the end of last season. You hope if you're a Jaguars fan, they do that this season. This is a big game for both teams. There's no question about it. Both quarterbacks. C.J. Stroud is firmly, I believe, in the MVP discussion, although I believe the frontrunner today is clearly Dak Prescott. But C.J. Stroud has had as great of a rookie quarterback season as we've ever seen by any player ever, whether it was Dak's rookie year or ben, Big Ben's rookie year. Andrew Luck was great his rookie year. So was Justin Herbert. This guy surpasses them all. What he inherited in Houston. The coaches trust in him right off the bat. It's not a situation where we see with most rookie quarterbacks where it's, 
don't put them in uh, positions to fail. Kind of, kind of handhold them to a certain degree, and then by like year two, year three, then let them go. No, it's it's like you, you'd have thought CJ Stroud's been in the NFL for a decade. It's like, yep, turn them loose, let them go. You tell a lot about how good a quarterback is by a coach's trust in him. That matters. So, hats off to the Texans, hats off to D'Amico Ryan's, and hats off to the young play call they got there, and of course to CJ Stroud. There's no question about it. But the Jaguars. Against a quarterback who threw three interceptions last week, our number one in the NFL in takeaways. And again, it was at this point of the season, last year, remember they faced the Baltimore Ravens, won the game on a two-point conversion. At the end, the Jaguars got hot. The Jaguars streaked at the end of the year and ended up getting a playoff win against the Chargers, winning the division, the AFC South, and winning a playoff game against the Chargers. Uh, I think they will continue a row very similar to that. I've got the Jacksonville Jaguars winning kind of a fun game, a close game, 27-22, uh, 27-22 over the Houston Texans, getting to 8-3 and three, firmly, firmly in that discussion to be the number one seed in the AFC. The sky was falling in Jacksonville when they lost to the 49ers. Everybody's freaking out. Niners do that to a lot of teams. Niners are better than Jacksonville. We would all agree with that. Uh, they're certainly better physically. Jacksonville, division rival. They're pissed off after how they played against the Houston Texans back in week three. They're going to come on the road to Houston and get a W over the Texans. 27-22. to Time for the game against the, for, uh, featuring my Pittsburgh Steelers. I'll go ahead and put the, the terrible towel on right here. Here we go. Terrible towel on my, uh, my shoulders. Go Steelers, go. Here we go. Here we go, Steelers. I'm sorry. I'm still learning. Young Steelers fans still learning the chance here, Pittsburgh, okay? But the Steelers take on the division rival Cincinnati Bengals, and both teams are a little bit in, I don't want to say disarray, but there's been chaos to a certain extent where the fact the Bengals lost Joe Burrow for the entire season with the wrist injury, which just sucks for them, sucks for Burrow, uh, sucks for everybody involved. Cincinnati's sitting there at 5-5. Five and five. When you look at the Bengals' schedule, especially without Burrow, they gotta face us twice, face the Steelers twice. They gotta face the Jaguars. They gotta face the Colts who are frisky at five and five. They gotta face the Vikings. They gotta face the, the Chiefs. They gotta face the Browns, who have uh, owned them in the last few years. So I don't think I would be going out on a limb and saying Bengals probably aren't making the playoffs. But if they want any prayers chance, they gotta win with Jake Browning at quarterback. For my Steelers, <laughs> it finally came true. Matt Canada was fired. No, what does the Steelers do with the new play caller? What do they do with Kenny Pickett, who's thrown a grand total of five touchdowns this year? In his defense, he's dealing with injuries. Five touchdown passes, that's that's not great. I'd be crushing Mac Jones and Zach Wilson if that were the case with them. Cincinnati's reeling a little bit. They did have extra time to prepare for Pittsburgh, but this is Mike Tomlin we're talking about. Mike Tomlin as a road favorite. Minus two and a half. Division rival. I think similar to the Buffalo Bills put up 30 after firing King Dorsey as their OC. I think finally, 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 can I say it one more time for louder for the people in the back? Finally, it is. The Pittsburgh Steelers will score 30 points. 31-24. I sense an offensive explosion. I sense the ball getting to George Pickens. I sense the ball going to Najee Harris, and in particular, Jalen Warren, and Deontay Johnson making plays, and Kenny Pickett looking the best that he has looked as a Pittsburgh Steeler, especially in his second year. Steelers win and cover 31-24 to against the Cincinnati Bengals. Ladies and gentlemen, let's go Steelers. Here we go, Steelers. That's what I'm talking about. We scored 30. Finally. It'll be our third time in the last three years doing it, uh, which is why we fired Canada to begin with. Now to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Indianapolis Colts. This is an interesting one. 
So Indianapolis favorite at minus two and a half. Again, there's not a lot of big favorites this week, uh, this weekend. It's, it's really not. Indianapolis favorite minus two and a half. So Tampa Bay right in the thick of the AFC South race. They'll see what happens with the with their division rival uh, New Orleans Saints when they take on the Atlanta Falcons. We got to see what happens with that game. But if you look at what Tampa Bay's done, they've had some big time offensive scoring outputs. Against the Houston Texans, Tampa Bay scored uh, 37. Uh, they, they were able to, to uh, score a lot of points uh, in the past against the New Orleans Saints, who have a good defense. They were able to, to be efficient offensively two weeks ago against the Tennessee Titans and control that game in large part due to their running game. Struggle defensively, though. Gardner Minshew coming off of a bye. Smart coach Shane Steichen. You know, you might expect it to be, to, to be somewhat close. I don't know, folks. The way I see it, and I've, I've never been a Baker guy, but I've said for the last few weeks, I have been very impressed with his maturity, his composure. Listen, let's not act like Baker Mayfield inherited a situation in Tampa Bay that was just ready-made. I mean, with Tom Brady, albeit a 45-year-old Tom Brady, but with Tom Brady, this was an 8-9 football team that got blown out by the Dallas Cowboys in the wildcard game. So it wasn't like the San Francisco 49ers he inherited. Baker's played pretty well. I think he'll play well on Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts, despite the Colts uh, coming off of a bye week. Give me the Buccaneers. 31-24, just like the Steelers-Bengals game. 31-24, Tampa Bay. Very much in the hunt for that AFC, uh, NFC South title. Colts, given their playoff hopes, suffer a, I don't want to say a devastating loss, but a big loss to the Buccaneers. Tampa Bay wins this one at 31-24. Moving on to an AFC South clash between the New Orleans Saints and the Atlanta Falcons from Atlanta, Georgia. Saints are two-point favorites on the road. So, Again, this is a situation for New Orleans where it's weird. So they're coming off a bye week, but oftentimes when I talk about, oh, this team's coming off a bye, this team's coming off a bye. And by the way, so is Atlanta for the record. But usually when it's coming off a bye, you're like, hey, great coach. In some cases, very good to great quarterback. You take that team to win. Derek Carr, while I love him more than most, is a very good quarterback. He's certainly not elite. I don't think anybody would argue that. Dennis Allen is nowhere near elite. He's a bad head coach. Historically, we've seen it from him. Okay, this is still a talented, it's not as talented as it was when Drew Brees was there at the end of his career, but they still have talent. They still have, and Michael Thomas was gone, is gone for the year, but they still have Alvin Kamara. They still have Chris Olave. Good tight ends defensively. Demario Davis uh, and company. Marshawn Lattimore, uh, Cam Jordan. They still got playmakers on the defensive side. I like the Shahid kid uh, in New Orleans as well. Atlanta, they shifted back to Desmond Ritter. I just think there's too much turmoil in Atlanta right now. They don't know who their quarterback is. It's a bad situation right now for uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. So I will take the Saints to take advantage, although I don't feel great about it. But I'll take they, they've been playing well offensively in the last month. I'll take the Saints to win 27 to 17 over the Atlanta Falcons. Get to six and five again. I did pick the Saints to win the division with a nine and eight record and edge out Carolina. Clearly, Carolina is not going to be nowhere near that uh, that AFC that NFC South title. Looks like thoughts at edge out Tampa Bay. And for the moment, I think they will entering week 13 next week. It is now time for Bryson's Bleak Bets. This is the one game every week that I've absolutely zero confidence in predicting him, but or zero confidence predicting him. Sorry, I butchered that. But hey, you gotta predict him. And this is a situation. You know what? Let me just turn off the background music for a moment. Because this game does not deserve upbeat background music. It's actually a game where the Team that wins is in a worse spot than the team that loses. It's the New England Patriots. It is the New York Giants. The Patriots are somehow road favorites, minus three and a half. Now, that's a lot. We don't know today who the Patriots quarterback is. Is it Mac Jones, who reports were two weeks ago, was going to get benched? He did get benched in Germany for Bailey Zappi, who proceeded to throw a game-ending interception. Is it going to be Bailey Zappi? Is it going to be Will, Will Greer? 
All I know is the Patriots need to draft a quarterback. I think even Patriots fans and the Patriots organization would acknowledge that. I've never been a Mac Jones guy. I've been validated on what I've said about him in every way, shape, and form. Belichick now well below 500 without the greatest quarterback ever. The Giants, though, Daniel Jones gone for the season. Tyrod Taylor still hurt, so it is going to be Danny, I mean Tommy DeVito at quarterback, which props to my man, threw three touchdown passes against the Washington Commanders. Hats off to Tommy DeVito. Smart head coach Brian Dable. I think the Giants put together a solid offensive game. I'll take him to win 23-12. to 12. Don't feel great about it. Both teams are awful. Both teams are actually better off losing this game than winning it. I'll take the Giants 23-12 to 12 over the New England Patriots and Bryson's bleak bet because why on, in, on God's green earth did anybody, anybody bet on this game? Back to the music. Let's move on to the, what do we got next? We got the Carolina Panthers. And we've got the Tennessee Titans uh, from Na- uh, Nashville, Tennessee, this beautiful state's capital. So Titans are three-and-a-half-point favorites. Again, Carolina's one and nine of the worst team in football, and it gets worse. Their pick goes to the Chicago Bears. So it, it's it's it has a, it's not getting any easier for the Carolina Panthers as we sit here today. But if you look at what the Titans are doing, uh, if you look at Will Levis, again, the Titans did get blown up by Jacksonville. Will Levis, though, who I've never been a big, the biggest fan of, uh, going back to his days in Kentucky, I think there's some maturity issues. Maybe he's able to address it. Maybe he doesn't. But I thought in some instances he looked pretty good. His connection with DeAndre Hopkins far exceeds Ryan Tannehill's connection with DeAndre Hopkins. But listen, as bad as the Titans are, they're 3-7. and seven, They're not going to the playoffs. This is still Mike Brable we're talking about. This is still – I've heard reports that maybe the Titans – might consider moving on from Mike Vrabel. They need to be disbanded as a franchise if they even think about it. Mike Vrabel is one of the best head coaches. If you look what the Titans dealt with last season, this season's not ideal. Last season was even worse. So many guys on IR, so many guys injured. They had to turn to my man Space Dobbs, Joshua Dobbs, uh, off the practice squad from, from the Detroit Lions at quarterback. It, they, so they had a quarterback who really didn't know the playbook. Derrick Henry was beat up. The receiving core was terrible. The defense wasn't as good. It was bad days in Tennessee. There's no doubt about it, okay? It was bad days. Mike Vrabel's an awesome coach, though. The fact that he kept head above water, gave the Titans at the very end a shot to win the division is a minor miracle. Titans will beat the Carolina Panthers 26-20. to I actually think Carolina's offense... Uh, might actually find a rhythm in this game. I don't really trust Tennessee's defense all that much, but I'll take the Panther. I'm sorry, the the Titans to cover minus three and a half and beat Carolina 26 to 20. And certainly the Chicago Bears, who won't play until Monday, will 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 be big Titans fans. Like it's like Carolina, just keep on losing, keep on losing, so we can get Caleb Williams. That is what they are rooting for. Let's move on. Is this the upset of the week? I think. No, it is not the upset of the week. Okay. It's the Los Angeles Rams and the Arizona Cardinals and AFC. I keep saying AFC. NFC West Battle. So the Rams need to win this game. They're four and six. They got a big time home win last week by the skin of their teeth against the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Stafford put together some good drives at the end. Cooper Cup, this is big. Looks like he's going to play in this game for the Rams. For Arizona. Two and nine, not going anywhere, not going to be a playoff team. There's no doubt about that. But if you look at the fact, you know, Kyler Murray, since coming back, has looked comfortable. Led a game-winning drive against the Atlanta Falcons. Almost led a game-winning drive last week against the Houston Texans. To me, what it comes down to is this. Arizona's defense against a non-turnover-prone quarterback in C.J. Stroud, forced three. Matthew Stafford, beat up. Historically, has been a little bit, I don't want to call him a turnover machine because Matthew Stafford is a Super Bowl champion. We got to give him props where it is due, but Matthew Stafford could be a little careless with the football at times. Uh, he's, I'm telling you, from what I watched on Sunday and all season long, he's nowhere close to healthy. 
Uh, so I am actually going to go with the upset here. I'm going to go with the Cardinals to win over the Rams, 24 to 17. Take the Arizona Cardinals plus two and a half and to win outright, 24 17 over the division rival LA Rams. Uh, I actually kind of like this pick, so I'll go with the Rams to to win it all. Let's see. Got a couple of comments here from Patrick about uh, the Patriots. He says we shouldn't see Wack Jones until whenever. Wack Jones and Slack Wilson will be the two biggest disappointments of the 2021 draft as far as QBs. See our guy Barry Grant Jr. Mitty's out on Michael McCorkle, or he calls him Michael Wacorkle Jones. Was beautiful. It was, especially Barry was on the show on Wednesday, which made it even better to uh, just to have him say it to my face. It, it's one thing to hear Barry say it his show. Shout out to Barry, All Even Podcast. Check his show out here on the grid. But uh, it was is even better. Added, added. It's just icing on the cake, Patrick. Icing on the cake. Cleveland Browns, Denver Broncos from the Rocky Mountains. Broncos are favored at minus one and a half. So listen, I added the Browns. Didn't like doing it, but I got to be objective. I had the Browns at number nine on Bryce's best 10. It has absolutely nothing, contrary to what Browns fans tried to tell me last week, to do with their offense. And certainly with the quarterback position, where they had to sign Joe Flacco to their practice squad, which shows you the the um, <clears throat> the fact that the Browns are in dire straits at the quarterback position have been since, well, the entire Super Bowl era. Anyways, though, the Browns defense, though, is fantastic. Miles Garrett, 13 sacks, leading the National Football League. They have the, offensively, they certainly have the best O-line. Kevin Stefanski, as I've always loved it, has, as a head coach. We talk about great defensive coordinators. I think there's a lot of them. Jeff Schwartz is in that conversation. Remember what he did in Philadelphia as their defensive coordinator for years, won a Super Bowl there, what he's done with the Cleveland Browns. He's done a great job there as well with the personnel uh, that he's been given, uh, which is very talented, I might add. For Denver, look, they won four straight games. They're playing good defensive football, the best they've played in quite some time. Russell Wilson is not back to the old Seattle Russ, as I as I said on Monday's show, but Sean Payton deserves all the credit in the world. Russell Wilson looked like a, a below-average backup quarterback last season. Now he looks like a top 12 guy. Stats, in some instances, are top 10. You look at pass rating, touchdown, interception ratio. Russell's playing pretty darn well this year. Javante Williams running the football effectively. That's really been the MO of the Broncos for very, uh, at least in this four-game winning streak. So, one and a half. I don't know. Cleveland's in a rough spot at quarterback. I'm going to go with Denver. I'm going to go with Denver, 20-16. to 16, Kind of a defensive battle. Uh, again, the Broncos in this winning streak have not put together a, a great offensive game yet. They, they, they simply have not. I mean, if you look at the scores of their games, if I can pull it up here, the Broncos' scores of their off, uh, Broncos out offensive output in the four-game winning streak, they scored 19 against Green Bay, 24 against Kansas City, which, given that defense, is actually pretty impressive. 24 against the Bills and 21 against the Minnesota Vikings in their last two games they've won in game-winning drives. But give me the Broncos to win this game 20-16 to 16 over the Cleveland Browns. I will certainly be rooting for that as a Steelers fan. Alright, it is, uh, no, I'm sorry, not time for, for if I were a Batman. Chiefs Raiders. A lot of divisional matchups this weekend. AFC West matchup. Kansas City Chiefs come out of a loss as are the Vegas Raiders. So, fun fact, Patrick Mahomes has one single solitary loss to the Raiders his entire career. Vegas coming off of a bad offensive performance against the Miami Dolphins last week in a game where a defense in Vegas that we kind of have, have yeah, that we do have a lot of questions about held that high-powered Dolphins office to 20 at home off of ice. They deserve a lot of credit for that. But listen, Kansas City, they're pissed off. It is a short week, so that, that does factor as well. But the Chiefs are 10-point favorites. Chiefs are coming off of, of, uh, of a rough loss against the Philadelphia Eagles. A lot of drop passes. Mahomes through the back goal line, or red zone interception. Kelsey fumbled inside the 10-yard line. You know, is Valdez Scantling dropped the touchdown that could have won the game. So it's just... The defense kept them in it as long as they could. They even got a turnover in that game, but Kansas City's offense simply could not pull through. 
excuse me, but Mahomes simply owns the Las Vegas Raiders, has never lost a game in Vegas or in Oakland uh, back when the Raiders played in Northern California. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs to win 30-13. to Again, it's going to be a situation where 30-13, to you're like, okay, like they kind of control the game. I think Vegas is going to get like a late touchdown to make the score look a little bit better than it actually is. I think Kansas City, this is a get-right game for them. Kansas City's schedule certainly does not get easier moving forward, but if there's any team that's equipped to take on that challenge, it is indeed the defending champions. I think they'll beat the Raiders 30-13. to It is now time for my favorite segment on Carving Up Live. If I were a betting man, I am taking a look at the city of brotherly love. Philadelphia Eagles, 9-1, best record in football. In my view, the best team in football, hosting the Buffalo Bills, who I've not believed in all season long. But Philadelphia, I think this is a little suspicious. Favorite minus three. You're like, okay, that's that's strange. So Buffalo, to their credit, fired Ken Dorsey and dominated the New York Jets last week. Okay, so hats off to them. Josh Allen was fantastic. But the Jets, I'm sorry, the Eagles come out that win against Kansas City. Feeling good about themselves. As I said last month when they lost to the Jets. It was a bad loss. It's still kind of a head-scratching loss. Zach Wilson beat Jalen Hurts. Yep, that's the that's what happens in a, you know, 272-game, I think it's 272-game NFL season. That's what happens. Okay, weird stuff happens. But, but, I said after that game, we are going to find out who the Philadelphia Eagles are in their next eight games because they were facing the Cowboys twice and the Niners and Buffalo is certainly not an easy game and all these games. They're 4-0 in this stretch so far. So props to them for, for doing what they've been doing. But if we know one thing about Philadelphia's defense, or really Philadelphia's team, the one weakness, not great against the pass. Bottom 10 in the NFL in pass defense. And while Josh Allen has had his struggles at his best, at his peak, we see what he's able to do any given Sunday. Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis as well. Not a big, not as big of a Gabe Davis fan as as I used to be. I, I think he's more of a three now than he is a two. But uh, Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid, Bills running game for the record has been better as of late. I have a feeling that because the Eagles have a huge game against the Niners next week, and then arguably an even bigger game after that against the Cowboys on a short week, coming off a big emotional win against the Kansas City Chiefs on Monday, I think it might be a little bit of a letdown game. I think the Bills will control late. Uh, we'll, we'll lead late and somehow, someway, because this team just somehow, I hate the Eagles, but somehow finds ways to win. Give me the Philadelphia Eagles on a walk-off field goal, 27-26, to 26, but take the Bills and the points. Bills plus three is my bet here. If I were a bet man, take the Bills plus three, but, and ultimately what matters at the end of the day, the Philadelphia Eagles to win 27 to 26. That's what I've got. Philadelphia wins at 27 to 26. If I were a bet man, though, take Buffalo and the points. Got a comment here. Shout out to you, AJ. Great show. We'll catch the rest tomorrow. Appreciate it, my man. Shout out to the campaign, guys. Uh, got uh, one game left, and it happens to be my upset of the week. Give me the Baltimore Ravens. I'm sorry. Ugh, butchered it. Give me the Los Angeles Chargers. Over the Baltimore Ravens, 28-27. to 27. Ravens winning and not being upset. Ravens are three-and-a-half-point favorites. I got the Chargers winning, and I got the Chargers winning outright. And here is why. So, LA's in desperation mode. Okay, that was a rough loss last week at Lambeau to the Green Bay Packers. A lot of drop passes. Weren't good situationally. Shocker, shocker. It's Brandon Staley we're talking about. Why are we surprised that this happened? But Baltimore, yes, they have extra time to prepare. Yes, they have the far superior head coach. And at quarterback, I would say Lamar is better than Justin Herbert, although I don't think it's by much. I love Herbert, but I also love Lamar. 
Um, and the Ravens will probably have more fans in LA than the Chargers. But the Chargers are used to that. Brandon Staley knows his job is on the line. Justin Herbert knows that all these doofuses, and that's what they are, who think that he is he is just this overrated stat patter. He hears that. He's not going to say it, but he hears it. Austin Eckler, this Baltimore defense, this Baltimore team. Again, 10 blown double-digit leads since 2020. As great as John Harbaugh is, great as Lamar Jackson, as great as this Ravens roster and personnel and coaching staff is, they're not great situationally. I think the Chargers at four and six. Listen, I did have them going, I think, eight and nine this season, missing the playoffs. They got to get them with some point to have themselves in that discussion. They're going to keep themselves in the playoff talks. Give me the Chargers in my upset of the week, 28 to 27, and what will be a fantastic Sunday night football game in Los Angeles, or really in Inglewood, California, at SoFi Stadium. Chargers win 28 to 27 over the Baltimore Ravens. So that's what I got today. All right. Later show tonight. An hour and a half later than usual because I wanted to watch the Jets-Dolphins game in case in the rare event that the game was actually competitive. I wanted to see if it maybe went to overtime. I didn't want it to run into the show. I wanted to catch that game and see what happened, but ultimately it was not one that was worth talking about for more than, you know, three, four, five minutes. So that's where we're at. But fun later show, Black Friday show. And uh, with that, that is all the time here for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Be sure to catch Carving Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time, back at our normal time, right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. And of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. Trying to get to 1K, 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58, which is February the 11th. I believe that we can get there. We have surpassed the 500 subscriber count. So... If you have subscribed, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Please tell your friends and your family to do the same. If you haven't subscribed, hey, just takes a couple seconds. Bigger subscribe button down there, hit it. Boom, you're part of the Carving It Up family. That's like John Madden. Boom. Recipes to the great John Madden. Love that the NFL honors him during Thanksgiving. Of course, be sure to go subscribe as well to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network right here on YouTube as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. Fun, fun show today. Love the activity in the comments. Again, please subscribe if you have not already. Try and get us to 1,000 by the Super Bowl. Tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a family member to tell a friend during this Thanksgiving weekend, this holiday weekend about the show. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Shout out to all y'all out there. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, please be sure to contact your local state representatives and your senators to demand change for gun violence in America. It's a cause very, very near and dear to my heart. No question about it. All right. Have a great weekend. Enjoy some Thanksgiving Day leftovers. Me personally, I'm going to eat some pumpkin pie. I'm going to eat some pumpkin pie. I'm going to enjoy Warriors Spurs tonight. Michigan, Ohio State tomorrow. Going to be a fun weekend of football and sports in general. See you on Monday. Should be a loaded show then. God bless you all. Peace out. And nothing beats pumpkin pie. I don't care what any of y'all say. Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube. And be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.